You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, it is June 30th, and yesterday, we had a trade. The first trade of this Marlins season, or at least substantial trade of the season. I want to preface, though, as Corey Dickerson heads to Toronto with Adam Simber, Joe Panic coming over to Miami, as well as a prospect, I want to preface that this is not selling. The Marlins very well may sell, and that is something that will happen if they struggle over the next couple weeks, but that is not what this is. This is the Marlins knowing, one, that they need to win now. They've acknowledged it. Miguel Rojas has acknowledged it. Don Mattingly has acknowledged it. If they do not win when it gets close to the deadline, which is just in about three and a half weeks at this point where you're going to have to decide if you're going to buy or sell, then they will sell. So they know that their backs are against the wall. There's still no timeline on Corey Dickerson's return, so he wouldn't be able to help them stay alive right now and help keep this team intact. That's one part of it. Also, Dickerson hasn't been playing that well. And also, Jesus Sanchez has looked like a big leaguer, and it looks like it's his spot in the outfield out there, and you want to get him the at-bats. So it just seems to be the perfect setup for them for the Marlins to be able to, one, get rid of an outfielder that was expensive and not really a good fit for them at this point. He was not hitting that well even when he was healthy. And Joe Panic is not the most exciting bat in the world. He's not the Joe Panic that he was when he was an all-star in his early 20s in San Francisco, but he can still contribute and he gives you a good left-handed bat off the bench and some infield depth that the Marlins have desperately needed. He can play third. He can play second. He has won a gold glove at second base. I have no idea if it's a mystery Corey Dickerson type of gold glove love or not, but from what I've seen in the past, he's a pretty good defender, and if he can play third and second, there's a lot of value there. He can platoon with Birdie, but Birdie should be playing a lot right now with the way he's swinging it, but still, you're replacing an outfielder, which you didn't really need, for an infielder, which you do need, and they're both relatively the same kind of offensive production at this point. Yes, Dickerson has more power potential, but the Marlins haven't gotten that, and it's been almost a full season now if you count the 45-50 games he played last year and then the 35-40 games he already played this year where he just wasn't a shred of what the Marlins were hoping he would be in Corey Dickerson when they gave him that pretty big contract. On top of everything, the Marlins saved some money with this deal and I know that financially motivated decisions seem to trigger Marlins fans at times. I get that, but this is just a smart move, period. I don't know how they're going to reinvest that money, if at all, but remember, if you save a few million here, it's more money that you'll have to spend even in the offseason, because at the end of the day, the owners are going to, and Bruce Sherman is going to be more willing to spend based on the amount he's made or lost in the season prior, and now they save a few million dollars. It's not going to be the entirety of the contract. The Marlins are chipping in a little bit, and they're also taking on $1.5 million in Joe Panic, but they should save a couple million in this deal, so we'll see what they do with that. I still like the deal, and I know that the Marlins had to attach Adam Simber, and Adam Simber has been good for the fish this year, and a lot of middle relief opportunities where he's pitched to a high 2 ZRA. But I think for the Marlins, 
They probably would rather have kept Adam Simber. He's a cheap and fine reliever with some control, but also he is pitching better than he ever has in his career. He's not racking up a ton of strikeouts though, and he also is still putting up a whip around 1.2. So when you look at Adam Simber, you probably assume this guy's overachieving a little bit. And if all we have to do to get an infielder and get rid of Corey Dickerson's contract and open things up for Jesus Sanchez is attach this middle reliever, then that's fine with me. And I think that's exactly what the Marlins rationale was, and I agree with it. I don't think that Adam Simber is going to keep the ERA under three. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think he will, and I don't really see him being a long-term piece for the Marlins. It's not like it's the end of the world when you're trading away a middle reliever, and if that's what you had to attach instead of attaching a prospect, no-brainer for me. Now, Jesus Sanchez has free reign. He can get more at-bats. He can get more experience, which is really important because even if the Marlins are not successful this year and they decide to sell... They are going to want to retool for next season. This isn't going to be a complete teardown. This is going to be a sell some of the assets that we know aren't going to be a part of the long-term future and then retool for next year. And they are going to want to know what they have in Jesus Sanchez because as I talked about in a few podcasts before, it's that the Marlins need some answers. They can't rely on J.J. Bleday being able to crack the opening day roster next year or even Peyton Burdick for that matter or Herrera Encarnacion. You can't count on all of those guys being able to crack your big league roster next year and the Marlins don't have that many current answers in the outfield so they're gonna have a lot of things to figure out the other thing too is the Marlins are discussing and finally this was something that came out they've opened discussion with Starling Marte on an extension I really think they need to make it happen they do and there's probably not a person out there who thinks they don't need to make it happen it makes way too much sense for this team if it is a ridiculous deal where he wants five years then I can understand the Marlins stepping away but nobody's going to give Starling Marte five years so I think that they will find a way to work it out I really do the guy that would be expendable I believe if the Marlins are deciding to sell and that's the tough part is I think as they decide to sell they're still going to be trying to extend Marte and as Craig Mish has alluded to in the past that they will try probably up until the end of the season to extend him and if they can't they'll extend him a qualifying offer he turns it down worst case scenario you get a competitive balance pick for him which would probably be not that much worse than whatever the return would have been for him given that you are selling a guy that would be on an expiring contract due for free agency that would get paid presumably pretty decently well so it's not the end of the world in that regard and that's why the Marlins I don't think have too much time sensitivity to that extension by the end of the year the guy that would probably get dealt is Jesus Aguilar because Lewin Diaz continues to impress me a lot and I've loved everything we've seen he shouldn't have been in the big leagues getting sporadic at bats but when he did get those sporadic at bats I thought he looked really good Jesus Aguilar has been really productive this year and he's not that expensive and if the Marlins do sell i expect him to be one of those first guys that goes outside of the relievers like Jimmy Garcia, Anthony Bass, who will probably not get you much of a return and is also under contract next year. So if they can get out from that deal, that would be kind of nice for them and give them a little bit more flexibility. There's going to be some interesting decisions that they have to make. But with Joe Panic and how he fits in, He's a left-handed bat off the bench, which the Marlins needed because enough of going to Magnaris Sierra in a situation where you need to drive in runs, right? At least Joe Panic has the ability to leave the yard. He doesn't do it a lot, but he does have the ability to leave the yard. And his numbers are weird this year. He had a really, really good start to his season where he was red hot. And then they started playing in Buffalo more. And for whatever reason, he hated hitting in Buffalo. He went just four for 30 
in Buffalo. He only struck out three times, but went four for 30 into 133 batting average. Everywhere other than that, the OPS would be above 700 if you eliminate the four for 30 that he put up at Salem Field. What's interesting is Willie Adamas, and I don't think he's going to have a Willie Adamas type of explosion. I'm not saying that, but it is interesting that some players really hate hitting at certain parks. Willie Adamas was dreadful at Tropicana Field. Dreadful and great everywhere else. And what happens? He gets traded, he goes somewhere else, and he actually hit pretty well. I don't think that it's going to be an explosion from Panic, but I think the Marlins could get a level of production that the Mets got from Joe Panic just last year, where Panic was able to put up a 733 OPS. I think it was something around those lines. And he was pretty consistent. It was 738, excuse me. And was able to play a little bit all over the diamond, doesn't strike out a lot, and puts the ball in play. And and there's some value to that uh, for the Marlins. And to get a left-handed bat that can do that is solid. And I'm glad that the Marlins are able to bring somebody in here that's a World Series champion that is at least good for the clubhouse, a veteran, 30 years old, and uh, should be able to provide a little bit more depth in the infield that was much needed. I don't know a ton on the prospect that came over for the Marlins. I believe it's pronounced Andrew McInvale, and he has put up some pretty good numbers as a 24-year-old in AA, a reliever, has a chance to be a big league reliever. There's no doubt about that. 28 Ks and 20 and two-thirds innings so far in AA. He has walked 13, but the stuff is decent, a 218 ERA, and we'll see. I don't know much on him, but it's nice to get a prospect in this deal as well. You save several million, you swap out an outfielder that you don't really need for an infielder that helps you out a little bit, and you get a prospect that's not that bad. And for the Marlins, it kind of backs up what I was saying in the past that I had been hearing the Marlins had a bunch of scouts and cross checkers at the upper level minor league games for the Toronto Blue Jays. And here they are making a trade with the Jays. So they've probably seen a decent amount of this guy. And they were probably forced to pick between a few uh, non-exciting prospects. And they went with McInvale. But they've definitely seen enough of him to say, hey, let's give it a shot here. Maybe he could turn into a reliever at the big league level. The Marlins have done a good job of identifying reliever talent in the past. And there's a chance that maybe they did that again here. They've clearly seen a decent amount of him, given that they've been scouting a lot of Blue Jays. Jays ball games through the upper levels of the minor leagues. So that is going to be interesting to watch and see where he slides in there for the fish. And it seems like the Marlins and the Blue Jays just have a good dialogue here of they are comfortable making trades with each other. And something worth watching is that the Blue Jays have four catchers, four young catchers, Alejandro Kirk, who's on the shelf right now, Gabriel Moreno, who I've long mentioned is one of my favorite catching prospects on Locked On MLB Prospects. He is a stud. Then they have Riley Adams, and they also have Danny Jansen. So I wonder if the Marlins, who have a ton of pitching in their system and a lot of pitching that's not that far off from Big League Ready, could swing a deal where they give up some of their controllable pitching for some controllable catching and another strength for weakness swap. I'm going to recap yesterday's game for the Marlins, where they almost climbed back into it and some of the trends we've seen with this team and where potentially Joe Panic can slide in right away because the Marlins actually played Jesus Aguilar at third base yesterday, and he made a pretty nasty barehanded play. That was one of the more exciting parts of the game. Of course, Adam Duvall hitting his 17th homer in the ninth inning to bring the Marlins within one. A lot of weird, quirky stuff from that game that I will talk about in just a moment. Before I get to that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you 
by Spotify Greenroom. Spotify Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Greenroom is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you on Green Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to the big news and rumors. Go download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. Green Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Also brought to you by our dear friends at Built Bar, who have nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor. You got coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. There's something for everyone. And best of all, they're low in calories, low in fat, low in sugar, low in carbs, high in protein. What else could you want from a protein bar? And they are covered in chocolate, easy to chew, great for a keto diet. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15, LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. Last message is from BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device to check out all of the great sporting news and sign up for bonuses and contest information. If you use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word locked on. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use that promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So yesterday's game was weird. Definitely weird. It was one of those ball games where the Marlins didn't play that poorly, but they went seven innings of not scoring a run. So that's not great. But then they score three in the last two innings and lose four to three. The other wild thing is they actually out hit the Phillies. They had four hits. The Phillies had three. So the Phillies scored four runs on three hits, thanks to a Reese Hoskins home run, thanks to four walks by Trevor Rogers, and then two more walks from Anthony Bender. It was the first outing from Bender where he looked human. He gave up his first two earned runs of his season and of his major league career. So you can't really get upset when Anthony Bender finally becomes a human being. You know, it had to happen at some point. He wasn't going to have a zero ERA forever or else you know he'd be the greatest of all time by a large, large margin. It had to happen at some point. It's unfortunate that it happened in a game where the Marlins ended up climbing back with three runs, but you can always play that game in your head. Would the Phillies have gone to the same guys if it was not as close of a game, if Brogdon didn't give up a run? Would Brogdon have even been the guy that came in if it wasn't a 3-4 run game at that point? There's so many moving parts to that, but at least the Marlins were able to come across and score in that late part of the ball game. Uh, The bad part about things is that Jorge Alfaro is starting to look like the Jorge Alfaro that I was severely doubting and tried to walk back the criticism of. But again, everybody goes through a slump. The thing with Alfaro is when he's, when he's not hitting well, he really doesn't hit well. And when he hits well, he really gets hot. He's kind of similar, not quite to the extreme of Adam Duvall because Adam Duvall is on a different level of just absurd roller coaster performances. But Alfaro, when he gets cold, I mean, 0 for 4 with 4Ks yesterday, not ideal. The good news, though, nobody else in the Marlins lineup struck out multiple times. You have the Adam Duvall 
solo home run, which could mean he's starting to heat up. And if that is happening, that's great news for the Marlins in the series. Jazz Chisholm put together a couple good at-bats, went one for three with a walk. Marte, 0 for four. That's a rarity from him. He has slowed down a little bit over his last handful of games. That OPS down to 860. And the crazy thing about this Marlins lineup right now is that they don't feature anybody with an OPS over 750 outside of Jazz, Starling Marte, and Jesus Aguilar. That's it. And they only have one guy with an OPS over 800. That's a problem because even this Phillies lineup, which has been very, very cold as of late, has multiple guys with an OPS over 800 and almost everybody has an OPS over 700, whereas the Marlins have a lot of dudes in the 600s. Where you look at this Phillies lineup, Gene Segura, 842 OPS, Real Muto, 807 OPS, Bryce Harper, 861, albeit they pay a lot more money for these guys, but it's just comparing these lineups here. This is a Phillies team that's not that great, and they are still filled with guys producing way more than the Marlins. Andrew McCutcheon, 786 OPS. Reese Hoskins, 752. And then the drop-off to Torres and Bohm, believe it or not, who has a 610 OPS. For the Marlins, you go top to bottom. There's a lot of guys that are really not performing. Luis Marte also. That's a reason why I think the Joe Panic move is great. Luis Marte had a 452 OPS at the end of this ballgame. Joe Panic is going to be better than that, and there's no doubt about that. And you also go and pinch hit Magnara Sierra, who's not good either. So for the Marlins, it's just a instant upgrade, whether it's as a pinch hitter over Magnara Sierra or whether it is a starter in the infield that will be better than Luis Marte or Devin Marrero. Those are the good things about this. The Marlins have to create more opportunities than four times with runners in scoring position, and they went 0 for 4. So you're not going to win very many games like that. Trevor Rogers was still solid, still struck out 9 and 5 and 2 thirds, but he was not the typical Trevor Rogers that we see. Walking 4 is more so some of the struggles he had earlier in the year, but he did only surrender two hits, and one of them was the home run on not a bad pitch. Therese Hoskins just hung up there a little bit too long. Another good development, though, all of a sudden, is that Zach Pop is starting to settle in again. He's starting to look more like the guy he was looking like earlier in the season. He went through a rough patch and now, as of the last couple outings, has been much more comfortable on the mound. He's going to be a bit of a roller coaster himself because he's a Rule 5 guy who made a bit of a leap into the major leagues, but his last three out of four outings, I thought he's looked pretty good. He went two and a third scoreless against the Cubs in relief, and then he went back-to-back scoreless outings against the Nationals and then yesterday against the Phillies. So he's starting to settle in a little bit. I know he's had a couple rocky outings even in the last handful of them, but he was marred in a stretch where every time he was out there, he was just brutal. So it's good to see him settling in a bit more again. The Marlins are going to have an interesting matchup today where it's probably going to be a Jordan Holloway start against Aaron Nola. Nola's tied Tom Seaver's record with 10 consecutive strikeouts his last time out against the Mets. Another offensive challenge for the Marlins, but Holloway, I've liked what we saw from him in the rehab starts in the minor leagues. I liked what we were seeing from him before he got hurt. He's definitely made some major strides this year, and the fact that the Marlins can even run him out there as a starter is a far cry from where he was even a year ago. So we'll see. I'm always excited when he's on the mound because we know his potential, and we'll see if he's able to mix things up enough and if the Marlins are able to get to 
Aaron Nola at all. It's going to be a challenging one for them, but we'll see. I mean, they rested most of their bullpen arms yesterday. Yes, Bender went, and Bass is not one of your go-to guys anymore. So you'll have Curtis, you'll have Floro, you'll have Detweiler, you'll have Yimmy. All of those guys will be available, so it should be all hands on deck today, and hopefully the Marlins bullpen can hold up their end of the bargain. And even if the Marlins cannot get to Aaron Nola, which may be tough, it's going to be important for them to get him out of the ballgame, make him work, make him throw pitches, because that Phillies bullpen is still terrible. We saw that yesterday. Vince Velasquez somehow has been disgusting against the Marlins in the last two outings. I almost forgot to mention that. What is up with Vince Velasquez carving up the Marlins over his last two outings, where before that, he had given up 30 runs almost in his last handful of starts against the Marlins. He went seven innings, two hits, no runs, seven Ks. That curveball was working for him. Then his ERA is down to 4.22. Maybe he's reinvented himself a little bit. He definitely looks like a different arm. So the Marlins couldn't get to him. He goes seven, and they still almost got to that bullpen. So imagine if they can get Nola out of there an inning or two earlier and put more pressure on that bullpen. That would be ideal. Alvarado's probably going to be unavailable today as well. So that's not a great bullpen. Alvarado, though he's been inconsistent, is probably still one of their better arms. And now they really just need to focus on getting Nola out of that game as soon as possible, whether it is by hitting him or just making him work. And that should be the focus for this team. We'll see if they're able to do that. We'll see if Holloway's able to put up some zeros. As always, thank you for listening. We will have a recap on today's game as well as some discussion on the games ahead. The Marlins really need to take this one and then potentially the rubber match in this series because things could get out of hand pretty quickly. We know they got to win. It's do or die July for the fish and We'll see if they can get things going here and transfer some of that momentum from late in yesterday's ballgame into today's game. Thanks for listening. Look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.